This Sunday, we have the account from Exodus 16 and 17. We have the giving of manna, the giving of water from the rock, and the fight with the Amalekites. Each one of these is really a story in and of itself, so it's kind of a lot to get through in one Sunday. Nevertheless, they all do share a common theme. God tests the Israelites three separate times seeing if they're going to trust him. And of course, the Israelites fail every single time. They opt for complaining and immediate needs over their trust in God, despite the fact that they just seen God deliver them from the Egyptians and the crossing of the Red Sea. This account takes place in after just immediately after they crossed the Red Sea on their way down to Mount Sinai uh, is when these events happen. We, there is a map that I'll include with the email and you can also find online and it will show the, the path that the Israelites take. Uh, the map actually gives a couple different suggestions. And you might notice when you look at the places mentioned in the Bible, Sukkoth, Mara, Elam, Mount Sinai, Rephidim, for example, every single one of them has a question mark after it on the map because we really have no idea where these places are that the Bible mentions. And so even though the Bible mentions the exact names of the places where the Israelites are traveling, it really doesn't help us now because we no longer know where these places are. So the map has different suggestions over possible routes that the Bible is talking about, and they're really all guesses. Um, most likely the lower of the the most southern route that you're going to see on there it's solid brown most of the way but there's one part where it's um, a dashed brown and when you see the dashed brown probably the more southern route this is the tra what scholars traditionally believe some of the other routes are more favorable with modern scholars because they mean crossing the quote-unquote Red Sea at places where it really wasn't deep and the Israelites may have been able to cross without uh, the waters really being parted and so really their attempt to say that there, there was no miracle involved with the with the parting of the waters some of them the most northern route is kind of an odd one where they actually go through the Mediterranean Sea rather than through the Red Sea that seems unlikely to me there are other routes that have been proposed, but in the end, it's not really that important, the exact route. We know that they crossed the Red Sea at a place where there was no chance of them crossing on their own God part of the waters and, and then afterwards drowned the Egyptians in it. So the the miracle is true, is honest. Um, the, the Lord did some a mighty work there when he parted the Red Sea for the Israelites. But the map is there and you can follow that southern route and show the kids where we think these places are and that would certainly would help them. We got two chapters as I mentioned before, uh, Exodus 16 and Exodus 17. There's quite a lot in there so I won't try and read the whole account uh, this week but please uh, make sure that you do it as well. You could start the Sunday school lesson by asking the kids an example of what would they choose between something pleasing now versus something practical later and point out that we have a tendency to fulfill our immediate desires over what is best for us long term. For example, you could ask the kids, would you rather have a candy bar now or would you rather have vegetables later at supper? And most of the kids are probably going to opt for the candy bar now, not for candy bar over vegetables anyway. Or you could ask, would you rather watch TV now or would you rather get your homework done? 
So most kids would probably choose watching TV, even though that means that they're gonna their assignment's not gonna be ready for their teacher, or that they're gonna have to get up early uh, to get their assignment done. We have a tendency to want to fulfill our immediate desires rather than to do what's best for us long term. God wants us to eat our vegetables, and we see that in this account as well. The children of Israel are more concerned with their immediate needs. We're hungry right now, rather than looking ahead, lifting up their heads and looking ahead towards God's plan to bring them out of Egypt and to the promised land. And that's true with our life as well. Uh, we often complain about the lack of immediate needs rather than to be encouraged to lift up our heads and look towards the future that God wants us to have, a heaven that's waiting for us in the forgiveness of sins. God wants us to spiritually eat our vegetables. And of course, that's something that Jesus himself, when he was here on this earth, he had to keep telling the people they wanted to make him king because he gave them earthly bread and he had to point out to them there's something more important than earthly bread and that's heavenly bread and the salvation of your sins. And we're going to see how all three of these accounts uh, the manna, the water, and also even the fight with the Amalekites are a foretaste of what Christ would do and how Christ himself points to himself being the greater Moses. In many ways, he recreates these events that happened to the children of Israel in the, in the wilderness. He recreates them, but in a, in a way that's better, in a way that's greater, showing himself to be the the prophet who Moses foretold would come, but the greater prophet, even the son of God. So that's something we're going to be talking about as we as we go through this. The Israelites, uh, as soon as something bad happens, they look back and we see that right away. They're hungry in the wilderness. And what do they say? Oh, it would have been better for us to stay in Egypt. They would rather go back to Egypt where they had lots to eat rather than to continue through the wilderness towards that promised land that God has in store for them. And so people often prefer slavery to sin more than the freedom that Christ offers. They prefer the the satisfying of our immediate needs rather than the goal that ha that God has for us. They prefer the plenty of of sin, or at least that's the way it appears, right? It appears as those who are sinful and evil have plenty, have more, have the riches of this world. And often people look at that and prefer that over what they see as the sparsity of freedom in Christ. And so that's uh, the spiritual lesson that's at that's in store here. The Israelites meet three obstacles, as we mentioned, food, water, and war. At each test, they would rather go back into slavery in Egypt rather than continue forward into the freedom that God has in store for them. Yet, the... The thing is, they're never in danger. Uh, they think they're in grave danger. We're going to die of hunger. We're going to die of thirst. We're going to die from the Amalekites. They always think they're in grave danger. But God shows that they never, ever were in danger. God knew what they needed and had a plan already to provide for them and was going to provide for them. So even though it looks, from their point of view, like they're in grave danger, they never really were in danger at all. So another important aspect of this account is to draw them to Jesus, to draw the Israelites to Jesus, to draw the children to Jesus. Moses gave them water, food, and victory over the Amalekites, although even though it was not Moses, but God, right? And how does Jesus repeat and even give greater when he came, showing that he is the greater Moses? So let's start with manna. Uh, the children of Israel are camped at Elium in the desert of Sin, uh, which is between Elium and, si and Sinai, the 15th day of the second month. So they, the first month is when they left Egypt, right? They left on the uh, uh, 14th day of the first month is when they left, and, and that's the date of the Passover. Uh, so now we're about one month later. They've come through the Red Sea. They're camping 
and they're hungry, they complain to God. And the Lord says to Moses, I will rain down manna. I will rain down bread from heaven. God just says bread. Manna is what the people call it later. And he gives very specific instructions. They are to gather enough for that day only. And in this way, I will test them to see if they're listening to me. And of course, some people don't listen to God. They're worried that he's not going to give bread the next day, and so they gather enough for two days. And those who don't listen to God, well, that bread is filled with a stench and, fill, and filled with uh, worms the next day. So they, they should have listened to God. But then God says on the sixth day, they are supposed to gather enough for two days. Well, once again, the people didn't listen to God. It was probably the same people that gathered enough for two days the first day. Now comes the sixth day and they don't gather enough for two days because they remember what it stunk like it was filled with worms before. But those who did gather enough for two days, they had bread on the seventh day on the Sabbath. Uh, those who didn't gather didn't. And some of them even went out of their tents looking for for that bread, but God hadn't given to them. God wanted to give them something better on that seventh day. Rather than just bread, he wanted to give them rest. He said, oh, this day you can rest. This day you don't have to get up and gather this. And, you know, we think of this bread falling from heaven and all the Israelites had to do was go out and, and pick it up. And so we think, well, that really wasn't that much work. That was pretty easy, but that probably wasn't really the case. The Bible describes this manna as falling like small coriander seeds. And of course, it's, it's falling in the desert onto sand. So it probably wasn't the easiest thing in the world uh, to gather enough of this for everyone in your family. It probably was some work to, to gather this up. And maybe you, they even had to separate it from the sand. Then, of course, they had to, to bake it and make it into bread. So God provided for them, but they, they probably did still have to, have, to, have to work for it. And so some of these people get up on the seventh day. God wants to give them rest on that. That day, this day, you can stay at home. You can relax. You can rest. I provide enough for you the day before. You can have one day of rest. But they didn't listen to God, and so instead of taking rest, they go outside ready to work. But there's no bread there as well. And often, don't we do the same thing? You can point this out to the kids as well. God wants to give us rest on the day of worship, which we worship on Sundays. God wants us to, to take rest and worship and come to church. But how often do people think, well, it's more important to go out and work and earn bread and, and earn what I need for this life rather than to take that rest in Christ? Well, those who went out for work, they accomplished nothing. They, had, they gained nothing by doing it because there was nothing there for them to gain. And so often those who look to the working on on the, on Sunday, working instead of, of resting in Christ, often they gain nothing by it. It, it may seem like they're gaining something because they're, they're working on Sunday, but God promises us that if we put the kingdom of God first, seek first the kingdom of God, all these other things will be added to you. So those who prefer work over the rest that God gives them, they, they really come out behind, not ahead, because they're not receiving the rest in Christ. They're not receiving the promises of God. Uh, it's more important to, to be in church and to receive God's word and God's promises and receive that rest in Christ than it is to work and, and make money on Sunday. Brad, that came down from heaven, the Israelites saw it and they said, what is this? We don't know what it is. And so they called it manna, which, mean, which means what is it? Uh, it was small. It was white. Ruprecht, interesting, Ruprecht suggests that there is a bush in the Sinai Peninsula that exudes a small white gum which comes out about the size of a grain. 
Uh, and he says, uh, well, this may have been what's falling. In fact, he calls it Tolfa Mana. He says that's what it's called there. I didn't look really hard, but just looking around what little I could, I didn't find any collaborating uh, witnesses to this. So I really don't know uh, what he's talking about or, or if this is true what he's talking about. But he, he claims that there is a bush in the Sinai Peninsula that does produce a small uh, white gum that is about the size of a grain. So this may have been what was falling from heaven. Of course, it was still a miracle because there's nowhere near enough bushes in the Sinai Peninsula to provide it for two million people. And on top of that, God says it f fell from heaven, didn't come from the bush. So it may have been something similar that God was giving them, but it certainly wasn't coming out of the bush. Jesus, of course, uh, gave bread. Uh, we think of the feeding of the 5,000. Uh, he gave uh with uh, two, uh, five loaves of bread and two fishes, he fed you know five thousand people miraculously, giving bread and fish uh, to all the people. But then Jesus goes on to describe after giving the bread that what's really important is not the bread itself, but he himself is the bread of life. That's what's more important than that earthly bread is that spiritual bread with he which he came to give. And of course, he gives us his very body in the bread of the Lord's Supper. And so he gives us greater manna than what was given to the Israelites because he gives us that spiritual bread, even his own body, which gives to us the forgiveness of sins. So Jesus is the greater Moses, giving, giving us bread like God gave bread to the Israelites, but giving us better bread, the spiritual bread that we need for our body for our spiritual life. The next thing that happens is that the Israelites continue on. Uh, the manna continues to fall every morning and the quail come every evening. He didn't just give them bread. He also gave them meat in the evening's quail. And wherever they go, that manna falls. And in fact, the scripture tells us that as long as they remained in the wilderness for 40 years until the day that they crossed the Jordan into Canaan. And you can go to the book of Joshua and read uh, there also. It mentions the day they crossed that Jordan River and came into the land of Canaan, the manna stopped. But until then, that manna came down every day. Interesting also, God commanded that some of that manna be packed up and put in a jar, which would later go into the Ark of the Covenant as a witness to the people, showing them what God did for them in the wilderness. And you remember back that when the people tried to save it for one day, it was filled with worms and stank. But here, when God commands it to be put in a jar, it remains. It lasts. That manna that was put in the jar lasted for hundreds, hundreds of years, probably about a thousand years until the time of the Babylonian captivity. And when the Babylons came and captured uh, the temple in Jerusalem, they also took away the Ark of the Covenant and the things that were in it, including this jar of manna. So the implication is that that manna was preserved miraculously by God in the temple for a thousand years until the time of, of the Babylonian captivity. Another, another miracle that God did. But the Israelites moved on from there, and now they have bread in the morning, they have uh, quail in the evening, but now they have no water and they're thirsty. And so once again, they complain to God. And once again, it's the exact same thing. It would be better, better for us to stay in Egypt. We would have rather remained slaves in Egypt where we had lots of water than to be brought into the freedom that God wants to give us and be thirsty in the wilderness. Again, they were in they were in no danger. God knew what they needed. God knows what we needed. 
And God reminds us, ask and you will receive. The Israelites chose to complain and to grumble. And so often when we don't have what we need, we choose to complain and grumble against God when all we really need to do is ask and God will give it. If the, if the children of Israel had just asked instead of complaining and grumbling, God would have given it gladly. But instead they complain about God and say, well, they'd rather go back to Egypt. So the Lord uh, told Moses to walk on ahead of the people and take with them the very same staff that he had used used in Egypt and some of the elders and that the Lord would go before him and the Lord would stand there by the rock at Horeb and Moses was to strike that rock and water would come out and so it did and the people drank. The Apostle Paul reminds us in 1 Corinthians 10, And they all drank that same spiritual drink, for they drank of the spiritual rock that followed them, and that rock was Christ. But with most of them God was not well pleased, for their bodies were scattered in the wilderness." So the going through of the Red Sea, the receiving of manna, the drinking from the from the water which came from the from the rock, uh, was all meant to teach the people to trust and rely on God, to to give them faith in God and in Christ, and and to cause them to look forward to Christ. It was it was the pre-incarnate Son of God Himself who went before Moses and who stood by that rock, and it was the pre-incarnate Son of God. It was Jesus who who gave them water in the wilderness. They should have been filled with faith and trust, but of course they weren't. And so when Jesus came, once again, he gives water. Now we can think of the wedding at Canaan where he did something greater. He changed he didn't give them water, he gave them wine. He changed water into wine. And so just in with regard to the the pleasantness of the liquid, right? Is well wine is is better than water. It tastes better. It's you know, a higher higher level there, right? But then, of course, you, you think of the story of Jesus with the Samaritan woman, and he said, whoever asks for me, I will give him living water. It will be a, a spring of living water welling up within him, and he will never thirst again. So there, once again, Jesus is pointing us past the earthly water to what's more important, the spiritual water. And, of course, Jesus gave us baptism. He gave us that spiritual water, which doesn't quench our thirst, but quenches our souls and restores our souls and gives us the forgiveness of sins again. So once again, Jesus showed himself to be the greater Moses. Moses gave them water, but again, it didn't come from Moses. It came from God, but God gave it through Moses, water through Moses in the wilderness. Jesus gives us that living water, which refreshes our soul and leads us on the path of righteousness and uh, makes us think, of course, of Psalm 23, how the Lord is our shepherd and we shall not want. He leads us to to quiet waters where, where we can drink and he provides everything that we need. Finally, Israelites now are camped at Rephidim. They're very close to Mount Sinai. They're camped at Rephidim, and the Amalites come and attack the Israelites there at Rephidim. And Moses tells Joshua to choose some of our men and go out to fight the Amalekites. And then Moses uh, stands on top of the hill. He holds up his staff. He holds up his hands. And as long as his hands are up, the Israelites are winning. But if Moses grows tired and, is, and he fails to hold up his hands, then the Amalekites were, were winning and the Israelites were losing. And so there are two men who come then to help Moses because he can't hold his hands up all day long. And the two men are Aaron and this man named Hur. Aaron, of course, was Moses' brother and he had been appointed by God as the high priest. Hur, we think, was the husband of Miriam. So remember, Miriam is also Moses's sister. So her would have been Moses's brother-in-law. We don't know for sure, but we think that, that her was Miriam's husband. He also seems to have been the grandfather of a guy named Bezalel. Beza 
Bezalel was the one who later on would go to build the tabernacle. So her is not somebody that we probably hear about a lot in Sunday school, but uh, probably Moses' brother-in-law, probably the grandfather of the man who, just in a little bit, is going to, to build the tabernacle. This is also the first mention we have of Joshua. Joshua would have been about 44 at this time. That means that Joshua would have been around 84 when they finally got to Canaan and Joshua led the people into Canaan. For some reason, Joshua is often pictured as a young man. Uh, when you get to the account of the conquest of Canaan and, and Joshua leading them at that time, he was a young man compared to Moses. Moses was 120 when he died just before the children of Israel entered the land of Canaan. But Joshua wasn't exactly a young man at that time either. He, he would have been around 84. But at this time, he's 44. He's already the leader of the armies of Israel. Uh, Moses relies on him to lead the armies. He goes out and the Lord gives them the victory. Again, as long as Moses is holding up his hands. And so that's where her and Aaron are, need to help Moses and hold up his hands for them. This also points us to Christ, of course. Uh, just as Jesus gave the greater bread and Jesus gave the greater water, he also gives the greater victory. Just as Moses gave the children of Israel victory by holding up his hands, so also Jesus' hands were lifted up uh, when he died on the cross. And it is through that lifting up of his hands on the cross that he gives us the victory, the greater victory, not over the Amalekites, but over sin, death, and Satan. And so once again, it's that, that looking forward to Christ. In all three of these tasks, the Israelites failed. They failed to trust God. God had given them promises, uh, they didn't trust God, and they complained instead. The Bible encourages us, it reminds us that these tests, these weren't just for the Israelites, but these were, these were there for us as well to show us that God does keep his promises, that we can trust him, that we don't need to complain against God or complain at all when things go wrong in our life. Instead, we go to the Lord in prayer, ask, and it will be given. Uh, we go to the Lord and ask, and he knows our needs, and he's going to provide. Not always what we want, he's not always going to give us candy, but really, but more importantly, he's going to give us what we need. Sometimes, you know, what he, we, what we need is vegetables, even if it might not be what we like. And the Lord is going to provide because his goal is to bring us through the wilderness of this world to our eternal salvation in heaven. Lord's blessings on your Sunday school lesson. If you have any questions, email me, call me, text me, whatever. Uh, you'll see me around. Take care.